0: Welcome to today's COP24 covered mini podcast from Edie. This is a series in which we bring you all the news, views and key takeaways you need to hear from the largest climate summit in the world. My name is Sarah George. I'm Edie's reporter. And today, that's Wednesday, December 12th, I'll be rounding up the key takeaways from day seven. That was yesterday, Tuesday and day eight. That's today. Coming up on today's podcast, we have our usual good cop, bad cop game segment we'll be rounding up all of the key reactions to the major developments at the conference so far. There's sadly not a live phone-in from Poland today, as has been the case with the last two episodes, but we should have another very special interview lined up before the end of the summit for you all. Those of you who've been following this podcast will know that a lot has happened since the initial 200 world leaders landed in Katowice for the beginning of the summit just 10 days ago. Estimates from the ground suggest that more than 32,000 people have now attended the conference, either in part or in full, since the start date on December 3rd. Key happenings so far include David Attenborough's warning that climate change will soon bring about the end of civilization as we know it, the decision taken by the US, Saudi Arabia, Russia and Kuwait to reject a decision to align with a 1.5C pathway and numerous announcements from businesses. It's not been all doom and gloom, with many of the businesses represented at the conference moving at a pace to announce new sustainability commitments. Multinational firm 3M, for example, has pledged to design all products with built-in sustainability value, No small pledge considering that it operates across five sectors and launches a thousand new product lines every year. A group of four banks, meanwhile, have followed in ING's footsteps and announced measures to align their investment portfolios with the aims of the Paris Agreement. And on Monday, as I mentioned in last episode, 31 fashion firms have vowed to achieve carbon neutrality by 2050, the same date by which experts have predicted that garment production could eat up a quarter of the world's annual carbon budget. Now, all of those stories have been covered on the Edie website, so if you were looking for a shameless plug or a chance to find out more, here is your chance. Now, since that fashion charter I mentioned was published on Monday, UN Global Compact, aka UNGC's, CEO Lisa Kingo has warned businesses that they should stop setting verified science-based targets in line with a 2C trajectory in light of the IPCC's recent report. She has recommended instead that corporates work with the science-based targets initiative to develop targets aligned with a 1.5C trajectory. This, Kingo has argued, is now the only way the Sustainable Development Goals can be met in full by 2030. Discussions are still underway to produce the Paris Agreement rulebook, the document outlining how much each signatory nation will need to contribute in terms of climate funding and how this will be invested as well. These discussions are reportedly moving smoothly and at a pace. The European Climate Foundation CEO, Lawrence Trubiana, confirmed at a Bloomberg event today that negotiations are on track and the rule book is still set to be published this weekend. She additionally noted that the finalised document will be likely to include what she has called embedded flexibility, that is, clauses enabling each signatory to alter their contributions in the case of any major political or social turmoil in the next two years. Speaking at that event alongside UK Energy Minister Claire Perry, Tribiana, who was instrumental in the development of the original Paris Accord, also praised a massive growth in momentum among businesses since the document was unveiled in 2015. She claimed that, amid business progress and growing awareness of climate challenges among the general public and businesses, that the main challenge was now to spur more rapid and ambitious action from global policymakers, particularly those affiliated with the far right. Specifically, she noted that the public consensus seems to be that President Trump and the administrations of nations such as Brazil and Australia are, quote, holding progress hostage on climate and spreading a false message that climate action will not benefit the economy. But moving swiftly on before the tone of this podcast becomes one of too much doom and gloom, we'll be coming to our second segment. As you know, if you've listened to the previous episodes, each of these podcasts includes a good cop, bad cop game where we round up a welcome announcement from the summit, the Good Cop, and one which the green economy has not taken to so well, the Bad Cop. For today's Good Cop, I've decided to highlight a new partnership that will see $2 billion U.S. dollars invested into sustainable buildings and other green infrastructure across the world. The International Finance Corporation, which is a member of the World Bank Group, has partnered with the UK government to drive... 2 billion worth of investment from the public and private sector into green buildings. Called the UK slash IFC Market Accelerator for Green Construction Programme, what a mouthful. The programme will begin with an initial 105 million investment from the UK government itself with immediate effect. The ultimate aim of the partnership is to quote, transform construction markets in developing countries. This will be done by offering financial incentives to developers who produce buildings which are certified as sustainable. That's in terms of the materials they are built from, the energy they use, the emissions they produce during their life and their waste and water footprints. The move comes as the World Green Building Council is calling for a net zero built environment sector by 2030. As for the bad cop... The US administration held its first and only event of the summit yesterday with the promise of a discussion around clean energy. Instead, the session was used to argue the case for, quote, cleaner and cleaner fossil fuel energy. And it was packed out to the rafters, according to local media reports. There is a silver lining to this story, which is that around half of the audience reportedly walked out after green protesters disrupted the proceedings. The current U.S. administration is famous in the sustainability sphere for having pulled the nation out of the Paris Agreement in 2017. Trump's argument at the time behind the decision was that this was what the American public wanted, saying that he represented, quote, the people of Pittsburgh, not Paris. Pittsburgh is the first site where coal was discovered in Northern America post-Columbus, and it also sits on a natural gas rift with potential for fracking. But over the past decade, the city has slowly shifted away from its fossil fuel-based past, with hundreds of former miners now having been trained to work in the renewable sector. So there you have it. That's the second-to-last good cop, bad cop of the series. As I mentioned earlier, we sadly don't have a live phone-in from Katowice this episode. And because I've been busy, admittedly, Christmas shopping between attending this Bloomberg Philanthropies Climate Exchange event... I haven't had time to fly there myself this year, so feel free to direct your hate mail in my direction. But the last segment, therefore, will round up some of the green economy reaction to the summit's key happening so far. One of the most shared stories of the past 48 hours covers, somewhat unsurprisingly, the fact that a panel of children have appeared to plead to delegates to take more ambitious action. Young climate activists took to the stage yesterday. Another widely shared story covers how the sports sector and UN climate change have launched something called the Sports for Climate Action Framework. This is a roadmap aiming to gather sports organisations, teams, athletes and fans in an effort to raise awareness and help them all meet the aims of the Paris Agreement. Unsurprisingly, this news has been shared by a lot of football clubs, rugby clubs fans and just general sports enthusiasts, with Forest Green Rovers leading the way. Elsewhere, the UN General Secretary, Antonio Guterres, has reappeared at the conference after missing attendance on Monday. He tweeted that his motivation for doing so was to, quote, deliver an urgent appeal. His tweet reads, A strong agreement in Poland is absolutely necessary. We must beat climate change before it beats us. It's a race we can win and it is a race we must win. Friends of the Earth, meanwhile, has been documenting its campaign at the summit to drive ambitious action in the fields of social and environmental sustainability by agriculture, food and fashion firms. The group has accused such businesses of land grabbing and failing to tackle human rights abuses in their supply chains. Dozens of Twitter users have posted pictures of the group brandishing banners outside the conference venue, with these banners having slogans like Yes to community power, And hands off our land. I'd like to have finished with a look ahead to the remainder of the conference, but the UN hasn't yet published the full programmes for the next and last two days. However, as far as we know, the Paris Agreement Rulebook will still be published on Saturday, with a lot of discussions yet to be held on finalising that document. I've also been told that Energy Minister Claire Perry will be arriving in Poland either late tonight or tomorrow morning, so watch this space. Now with all of that covered I think it's just about time for me to say thank you so much for tuning in to our podcast and we will join you again once more before the end of the summit. So good night and take care. Goodbye.